Our sermon text this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26, please turn there in your copy of God's Word. We'll be considering in particular verses 8 and 9, but for the sake of context, I will read uh, the whole chapter. Before I read, let us pray once more. Father in heaven, as we come now to your word, we come hungry. We come as beggars. We come as those desperately in need of your grace. We come acknowledging that our hearts are, are weak, our minds are weary, and we need, O oh God, for your Holy Spirit to illumine our minds and our hearts that we might receive the word with all readiness of mind. We pray, O oh God, that you would set forth Jesus Christ to our hearts and minds, and that beholding him, our hearts would be moved with affection toward him and that we would be changed, and that you would stir up our most holy faith. We pray, O oh God, that the word would go forth uh, for the edification of your saints. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 26 from verse 1. <clears throat> in that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Open ye the gates, that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. For he bringeth down them that dwell on high. The lofty city, he layeth it low. He layeth it low, even to the ground. He bringeth it even to the dust. The foot shall tread it down, even the feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. The way of the just is uprightness. Thou, O thou most upright, dost weigh the path of the just. Yea, in the way of thy judgments, O Lord, we have waited for thee. The desire of our soul is to thy name and to the remembrance of thee. With my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early, for when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Let favor be showed to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness will he deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Lord, when thy hand is lifted up, they will not see, but they shall see and be ashamed for their envy at the people. Yea, the fire of thine enemies shall devour, devour them. Lord, thou wilt ordain peace for us, for thou also hast wrought all our works in us, O Lord our God, other lords beside thee have had dominion over us, but by thee only will we make mention of thy name. They are dead, they shall not live. They are deceased, they shall not rise. Therefore thou hast visited and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. Thou hast increased the nation, O Lord. Thou hast increased the nation. Thou art glorified. Thou hast removed it far unto all the ends of the earth. Lord, in trouble have they visited thee. They poured out a prayer when thy chastening was upon them. Like as a woman with child that draweth near to the time of her delivery is in pain and crieth out in her pangs, so have we been in thy sight, O Lord. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. We have not wrought any deliverance in the earth. Neither have the inhabitants of the world fallen. Thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in the dust, for thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. 
Come, my people, enter into thy chambers and shut the doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. Amen. Thus is the reading of God's word. The Old Testament church, the church under age, the church of Israel, at various points in in its history underwent severe judgments, afflictions, chastisements for their many sins. They had provoked the Lord to anger many times with their false gods. We, We heard of it in Ezekiel chapter 16. They turned their back on the Lord. We read uh, of kings of of Judah even doing uh, unspeakable abominations, doing witchcraft and offering their children unto idols in the fire. And for all these things, the Lord God brought his judgment upon them. And it was a severe judgment. All the things written in the law of Moses came to pass, that they were surrounded round about, that their cities were, were, were torn down, that their women were ravished. Uh, They were so stricken with famine that mothers even had to eat the flesh of their own children. Their precious temple was uh, raised to the ground. And and our, our text this morning looks ahead to a time when all these judgments have come and they've been restored. And it speaks to the hearts of the faithful at this time. You might think that their great desire would be that their cities would be built, be built up again, that their great nation would be restored to its former glory, that the temple of the Lord would be rebuilt. Wouldn't that be our desire, to have uh, the judgments reversed and uh, the affliction relieved? Children, when you've uh, disobeyed your parents and they've taken away your toys and put you in your room and punished you and done all kinds of things, uh, don't you desire to have those things back again? Well, our text this morning shows us that the the desire, the longing of the Christian soul is not merely for temporal relief from the afflictions that our sins bring us, but our desire is to be Christ himself. Yes, our theme this morning is the Christian's longing. And as we consider verses 8 and 9, we will uh, consider the following doctrine, that the Christian soul under affliction longs for an experiential knowledge of God in Christ. The Christian soul under affliction longs for an experiential knowledge of God in Christ. And we will uh, consider three things from our text for this morning. First of all, the condition of the longing soul. The condition of the longing soul. Second, the object of the soul's longing, or if you like, that which the soul is longing for. And lastly, the means longed for by the soul. The means longed for by the soul. But first of all, let's, let's consider the context of our passage. Uh, Isaiah chapter 24 through 27 is really all one sermon. One sermon to comfort God's people. In Isaiah chapter 3, God uh, commissions Isaiah to go and to comfort the righteous and say that it will be well with them. In the midst of all the judgments that are prophesied, in the midst of the afflictions that are coming upon God's people, God yet remembers mercy even amidst his wrath. And so as we look at Isaiah 24, for example, 
Uh, it prophesies judgment to come upon the whole earth, all the nations uh, that do not know God. And that includes even the church for her many sins. As we read in, in uh, 1 Peter, judgment must first begin at the household of God. As it first begins with us, what shall happen to those that obey not the gospel? And so judgment is prophesied in uh, Isaiah 24. But then there's a song of rejoicing in Isaiah 25 in, in response, a song of thanksgiving for the judgment of the wicked and the preservation of the righteous. And really, uh, chapter 26 is just a continuation of chapter 25. And as we read in verse 1, it speaks of, uh, this refers to, in that day. Now, if you know your Old Testament, you know that this is a reference to the times of the gospel. In that day, the, the day of Jesus Christ, the latter days, the day when uh, the Messiah has come forth. When the Old Testament church had been re restored and relieved from all of her afflictions and her sins. In that day. When the troubles of the church have passed, when judgment comes upon the nation, and when a remnant of God's people remains, then shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. Of course, Judah here refers to the church, the church militant, the church upon earth. Uh, this is looking ahead to a time uh, when uh, the church, having seen the judgments, having uh, herself been afflicted for her own sins, now uh, is rejoicing in the Lord her God. And, and we know for certain that this is speaking of gospel times for what we read uh, in verse 19. It said, Thy dead men shall live together with my dead body shall they arise. A prophecy of the resurrection of Christ Jesus himself and all those that are joined in him. The dead men of the church, when we die of old age, sickness, or whatever it might be, we have a confidence that we will rise again in Christ Jesus. And so we know for certain that this text speaks to us of the days of Christ. And so, as this text looks ahead to this church that's gone through so many judgments, gone through so many afflictions, and now is rejoicing in the Lord, it, as we come to verses 8 and 9, we see what the great longing of the godly is. So uh, let's look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, Yea, in the way of thy judgments, O Lord, we have waited for thee. The desire of our soul is to thy name and to the remembrance of thee. And so we see at the outset here what the condition, what the circumstances are for this longing soul, this longing soul of the godly or the Christian, if you will. In the way of thy judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you. The soul of the Christian, the soul of the godly, uh, under all these various afflictions, is waiting for the Lord to show mercy once again. As, for example, under the ba ba Babylonian captivity, it said, it, we read in Habakkuk, that, that was a hasty and bitter nation that showed no compassion to the old or to the young. They came in to slaughter all men, women, and children. They left no stone unturned in the temple. Blood was shed. And amidst judgment, this and other judgments, it would be easy for the carnal mind to think only of the restoration of our homes and our cities, even our temple. Our political power and military status among the nations. But we see that here the godly is longing for something else, waiting for the Lord. 
You see, as we uh, undergo afflictions and judgments, these things have a purpose. And the purpose is to cause us to wait for the Lord. Indeed, the faithful remnant learned of God's righteousness through these judgments. And as we read in in Romans chapter uh, 5, verse 3, through tribulation, they learned patience. We are to learn patience. Our, Our faith must be tried through tribulations, through afflictions. How easy it is to say that we have faith, that we believe that the Lord is good and the Lord will provide when everything is going fine. We've got a consistent paycheck, and we've got all of our needs provided for seemingly by our own means, by our own provisions. And we might pray before meals and before bedtime, but in times of desperation, in times of vexation of spirit, then our faith is truly tested. Then we see that the Lord is is indeed trying us, as it were, in the furnace of affliction. When we have nothing, when we have no income, when we have uh, nothing, no earthly goods to rely upon, and we must rely only upon the Lord, not knowing where our next meal or where, where we will sleep or eat or, 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 or stay will come from, then we must truly rely upon the Lord. This nation and, and the northern kingdom as well had gone through some prosperous times, even in their idolatry. But when the Lord came and brought his hand of judgment upon them and took away and stripped them of all those things, stripped them from the things that their so-called lovers brought to them, then they had to wait for the Lord. And we see, therefore, that God's afflictions, God's chastenings for our sins are really for our good, therefore. And so as these saints, so ought we to desire and, and wait long for Christ. The church under age, the Old Testament church, waited and longed for Christ. Through all of the tithes and turns of her history, uh, undergoing afflictions, uh, being under various kings, mostly wicked, some righteous, they longed ultimately for Christ. And so this longing is something that's stirred up in the midst of affliction, in the midst of chastening and judgment. In the way of thy judgments, O Lord, we have waited for thee. And so we ought to, as we read this, consider and ask ourselves this question. When we are being afflicted, when the hand of God is heavy upon ourselves, are we waiting for the Lord? Are we desiring him? Are we looking not merely to the things, the the outward difficulties, but do we have a desire to have a knowledge of God and of his presence, of his comforts once more? God has ordained for all Christians to go to seminary. No, not a place in Pittsburgh, but the seminary of affliction. We must all learn of God's righteousness. You see, there's simply things about God that we can't learn on paper. We can memorize the catechism, we can affirm the confession of faith, but until you go through it, you're just not going to learn it. That's just the way it is. Parents, you know this as you dealt with your children. You try to teach them about their finances, about things that they should and shouldn't do, but until they got themselves into a mess, there's certain lessons they just couldn't learn. God is to be learned not merely intellectually, but by experience. This is why when God revealed himself unto Moses, 
in the burning bush, he said that he was known unto Abraham and Isaac and Jacob by his name God Almighty, but by his name Jehovah was he not known unto them. It, it wasn't that they didn't know the name, the, the words, the, the letters and syllables Jehovah. They knew that name. We can read that in the Old Testament. But they hadn't had the experience of, of what that name represents, of God's covenant faithfulness, that he will be faithful, that he will hear the cry of his people, beaten down by the Egyptians, afflicted, that he will come down and deliver them in his faithfulness. This is something to be learned by experience. And so God has ordained for all of us to be afflicted. And you know that this is true as you walk in, in this Christian program. And so this is the condition of the longing soul, a soul uh, afflicted, a soul purged through many judgments, a soul learning of God's righteousness by experience under afflictions. But consider now the object of the longing soul, the object of the soul's longing, that which the soul longs for. It, sa it says in verse 8, the latter part of verse 8, the desire of our soul is to thy name, and to the remembrance of thee. How easy it is for us, whether we're afflicted in body, afflicted in our outward circumstances, to simply desire relief, desire healing from that cancer, desire relief from that pain and that disease, desire, desire for our life might, that might be in disarray to be ordered right once more. But here we learn that we ought to desire something higher, something greater. The desire of our soul is to thy name and to the remembrance of thee. With my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me, I will seek thee early. The, the purpose of these afflictions that come to us in the Christian life is not merely to teach us that all of our provision comes from him, but it's to wean us from dependence upon all earthly goods and, and from setting our affections on these things. Awakened by affliction, the desire of the Christian, is, uh, the Christian soul is to God's name. That is to uh, his attributes and his glory in the earth. The object of longing is not merely temporal relief, but God himself. See, there's a distinction between seeking the face of God and, as it were, seeking his hand. We can seek uh, many good things from the hand of God. Our, our, our daily bread, our protection, our provision, a home a career. All these things are good, and we should pray for these things, but ultimately our desire should be for God himself. As the psalmist writes, God himself is his portion and his inheritance in the land of the living. And so we should desire God, not merely for what he can do for us, but merely for who he is, for in his presence is fullness of joy, and in his right hand are pleasures forevermore. God himself is our reward. He appeared unto Abraham and said, I am your exceeding great reward. Not blessings, temporal, or even streets of gold in heaven, but God himself. And this is what we ought to be longing for. And so we ought to prefer an experiential knowledge of God in Christ to temporal relief. As you are afflicted, as you're going through seasons where it seems like your prayers are not being answered, you ought to, with Paul, 
learn to rejoice in your weakness, rejoice in your infirmities, because in those is the strength of Christ made perfect. In those times, in those seasons, you can come to learn and to know of God, know of Christ in a special way. Also know this, no servant is greater than his master. Christ is called a, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Christ was persecuted. Christ, it says, that his soul was exceeding sorrowful even unto death. If Christ was a man of affliction and we are his disciples, we are not going to be any different. And then so we should know that, as Jesus said, in the world we will have trouble, we will have tribulation, but we have a comfort that Christ has overcome the world and Christ is with us. Friend, I, I tell you this, it would be much better for you to go through this life maimed, bloodied, afflicted, poor, and to experience Christ. To know his comfort, to know his presence, and to go through life comfortable, at ease, and rich. And if affliction, if suffering is what it takes for you to get an experience, to get a taste of the, of the presence and the love of Christ, then welcome it. Some of the covenant martyrs, we, we read that they said, welcome cross, welcome stake, welcome hanging. Because in the fire and upon the rope, the presence of Christ was known in a powerful way. As the Spirit of God came upon his people to comfort them and to strengthen them under their persecutions. Desire Christ far more than you desire relief. Notice also that the longing soul is moved to action. It says that with my, with my soul have I desired thee in the night, yea, with my spirit within me, I will seek thee early. We must learn to seek God early. It, it's easy to fall into uh, a rut of routine, of Christian routine. We pray before meals, we pray before bedtime, we go to church, we do family worship but our hearts can be so disengaged. We can be cold and formal in our religion. But when calamity comes, when a loved one is, is, is sick or has just been in the car and you begin to pray with a kind of desperation. You begin to have a certain urgency. You begin to walk more circumspectly, knowing that the hand of God is upon you. Well, these things come to teach us that we ought always to seek the Lord with that kind of zeal and urgency, to pray with that urgency and that zeal. It's easy to get into the car and drive and, and think you're a good driver. But when you've been traumatized by an accident, and you, you might learn that you've got to pray every time before you get into that vehicle, that it's the hand of God that keeps you safe, not your skill behind the wheel. We learn these things in the furnace of affliction. And we learn by them to seek God early. To desire not merely His goodness in the terms of things that he gives unto us, but to know him for himself. You begin, you'll begin to desire to read the scriptures and pray merely so that you can have communion with God, so that you can know Jesus Christ, Christ that loved you and gave himself for you. Christ that is indeed your husband. Throughout the scriptures we see this analogy of the church, an individual Christian married 
unto Christ. And that really is to form the, the pattern of the Christian life, how we walk. We are to desire intimacy, fellowship with Christ. None of us would be content, I hope, to merely have a, a marriage license on paper. No, we want the actual enjoyment and presence of our spouse, don't we? And so it is with Christ. We ought to desire to have his presence, to have his fellowship, to, to have him, as we read in the Song of Solomon, Solomon, kiss us with the kisses of his mouth. The afflictions that we endure in this life all teach us, uh, weaning us of our idols, weaning us of our dependence upon even earthly goods, that we desire Christ above all and to seek him. And perhaps these things will even bring us to a place that afflictions are no longer necessary. That you simply desire Christ, that your eyes are so heavenward that you can't even see the, the earthly goods anymore. Whereas the world thinks that they can have satisfaction in, in a career, in, in riches, in pleasures, you might have all the money in the world. You might have your dream wife or your dream husband and simply have a deep longing that you know can only be satisfied in Christ. And that's what drives your prayer life. That's what drives your scripture reading. That's why you're coming to worship on Sunday mornings, that you could come and taste and see that the Lord is good, to, to feel and, and to enjoy his love as much as possible in this life. That is the longing of the Christian soul, Christ himself. And as we pant after Christ, our character, our character really ought to be that of a, of a lovesick bride whose beloved has gone off to war. And as she received letters or text messages or FaceTime, whatever means she has in the moment to, to enjoy him, she clings to those things. It might just be a text, it might just be a letter, but it's precious because it's from her beloved. And so this love letter that we have from Christ ought to be precious to us because it has, as it were, the fragrance of Christ and of his love emanating from it. And so you go to the scripture, you go to the Lord in prayer because you desire to know him now as you, as you await the fullness of his, of his presence in glory. This longing drives us to seek him early. Seek him before calamity comes. But note the means whereby we come to know the Lord in this experiential way. Verse 9 again, With my soul have I desired thee in the night, with my spirit within me I will seek thee early, for, and this is our focus now, for when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. The, the sense of the text is this, that the chastening hand of God upon all the earth, is aimed at turning men to God, to teach them of his righteousness. And the Christian longs to see God glorified in all the earth. You see, this longing is not only self-centered, not only about me and my Bible sitting under a tree enjoying the presence of God. No, the Christian soul desires to see Christ glorified, his scepter exalted over all the earth, and all nations to fall down before him and call him blessed. This is the longing of the soul. And this comes through his judgments. And when there's, a, when there's a knowledge of God's judgment in the earth, then his righteousness will be learned by men. The Christian longs for all the earth, for all the world to learn through affliction, even as he has. 
And so as you yourself has, ha- have learned, have tasted of a sweeter and, and more intimate knowledge of Christ in your time of affliction, you desire to see others as well. Not that you want to see others suffer, but that you want to see God glorified and you want to see Christ enjoyed for who he is. And for those that will not turn unto the Lord, for those that stiffen their necks and harden their hearts, the Christian even desires to see God's judgment in the earth. We read this in Psalm 58, verses uh, 10 and 11. The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked, so that a man shall say, Verily there is a reward for the righteous. Verily he is a God that judgeth in the earth. You see, when men go on and it seems as though there's no punishment for their sins, they begin to see God does not they think God does not see or God does not care. We have a God that simply uh, just accepts everyone for who they are and, and doesn't hate sin. And they begin to be hardened. And they begin to blaspheme or they begin to even say that there is no God. Well, the Christian soul desires that this would not be the case, that God would vindicate his name in the earth and get glory for himself this is really encompassed in the things that we pray thy kingdom come and thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven we desire to see the kingdom of christ advanced to see nations coming unto christ and bow kings and judges bowing down before him we desire that when there's a pandemic in our nation that the, the nation would be humbled before the lord and turn unto christ in repentance not to continue and go on in worse and worse perversion and corruption. We desire to see Christ acknowledged for the king that he is king of heaven and earth, all nations being his inheritance. And we long for all these things through the appointed means. Friend, what I'm telling you is a a dangerous thing here. To learn of God's right, to have an experience, not an experiential knowledge of God in Christ through His judgments. Do you really want that? To really learn of Christ in the furnace of affliction? Well, you have no choice. Many of you know that already. Many of you are in that furnace as we speak. But that is the means appointed for us to come to have this knowledge of God, just as it was for this church of old. It says in verse. 17, or verse 16, Lord, in trouble they have visited thee. They poured out a prayer when thy chastening was upon them. Like as a woman with child that draweth near to the time of her delivery is in pain and crieth out in her pangs, so have we been in thy sight, O Lord. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. When the chastening hand of God is upon us, we cry out unto the Lord. That's how it's supposed to be. As a woman... In childbirth, in deliveries, in pain, we cry out unto the Lord in our pain as well. We have been with child, it says. We have been in pain, but it says that they just brought forth wind. There was no child. There was no fruit for all of their labors and sufferings. And so we, we cry out unto God. Cry out unto him that he would make himself known unto us. And really that we could be able to say that all of the afflictions, all of the weakness and the infirmity of this life, so long as we have a knowledge of Christ and his presence with us in that furnace of affliction, it's worth it all. And we can even glory in our infirmities as we long to know Christ by whatever means necessary, even the means of affliction, even the means of judgment. 
And yes, He is worthy. Christians, some of you know what I'm talking about already. You know and you've experienced the sweetness of Jesus Christ when your heart has been broken into tatters, when you've been in suffering, when you've been in affliction, when perhaps you've been nigh unto death. And perhaps as those things were relieved, as your outward circumstances calmed down and life seemed to be at peace, you find that in your, because of your inward corruption, that, that zeal, that intimate knowledge of the love of Christ that you had in the furnace of affliction dies down. And you look back on those moments and you long and you say, I wish I could experience Christ in that way once more. And that really causes us to say with Paul, oh, wretched man that I am, to forget the goodness and the sweetness of Christ that we had in the furnace of affliction. But it happens to the best of saints. Look at the life of David, for example. When David was afflicted by Saul, hiding in the cave, that had his own father-in-law at his neck, throwing spears at him and the like, we see all how spiritually minded he was, calling out to the Lord, crying unto God in prayer. But once he ascended the throne, once he began to uh, have success in battle, relaxing in Jerusalem, taking wives and concubines to himself, even snatching uh, uh, Uriah's wife from him, from him, we see that even David himself, when he was at ease, was less spiritually minded than when he was afflicted. So that is simply part and parcel for the Christian life. But, nevertheless, we desire to overcome, we desire to mortify our corrupt flesh and to seek Christ early, even before the affliction comes, knowing that he himself is worth it, he being our portion and inheritance in the land of the living. And so as we consider what this is, the, the Christian's longing, that knowledge of, of God in Christ that comes experientially through these sufferings, through these afflictions, let us know and remember that afflictions are sent to wean us of our idols until we long for Christ above all else. And so when they come, don't raise your fist against God. Don't say, why is this happening to me? But reflect, consider. We read in Ecclesiastes 7, In the day of prosperity be joyful. In the day of adversity consider. God also has set one over against the other, that man should find nothing after him. Know that pro times of prosperity and times of adversity are appointed for all of us. And there's, they're as sure as steadfast as night and day. If you're in a time of prosperity, know that a time of adversity is coming. If you're in a time of adversity, know that a time of relief and prosperity is coming as well. And consider what God is doing. And as you consider these things, think not only of yourself and your own personal relationship with Christ, which you should, that's first, but also desire to see God's glory redound in the earth and Christ's kingdom advance. Desire that as you've tasted the sweetness of Jesus Christ, that others would come and taste as well. So that your evangelism is not merely turn or burn, that's necessary, but also come taste and see that the Lord is good. We have to desire to see Christ's kingdom advance. Desire that the sweetness, the goodness that we ourselves have known would be known by others as well. And that also, 
the Christ would get the glory and the honor due unto his name. As Christians, we have to have a deep-seated desire to see every man, woman, and child on the earth fall down at the, at, at, on their knees and worship the Lord Jesus Christ, for he is worthy. I heard once of a, a missionary that went to Africa. And when he went initially, he went simply thinking, oh, those poor Africans, I want to just have mercy upon them. But when he got there, he saw how wicked they were, and he began to see that he had a mistaken idea of humanity. But he came to the realization that regardless, it doesn't matter. This is Christ's inheritance. In Psalm 2, we read that the nations are Christ's, Christ's inheritance. And we ought to desire to see that fulfilled. Even if you don't have any compassion for your neighbor, you should. But even if you don't, desire to see that soul uh, captured for Christ, to be Christ's bounty. That ought to be our longing to see the glory of Christ redounding in the earth. Kings and nations submitting themselves unto him. We long for Christ as Christians. And as we go through, as we walk in this, uh, this pilgrimage, there ought to be that deep-seated longing. You ought not to be satisfied in anything else but Christ. And as good things come, as prosperity comes, as prayers are answered, that, that longing will still remain. And let it drive you, therefore, to seek Christ early through the means that he's given. And as you seek him, he will come, and he will minister unto you his love, his presence, so that you have fullness of joy above all the riches, what the riches and the comforts and the pleasures of the world can give. And so that is why we ought to desire Christ himself above all. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we have heard how the desire of our soul, the longing of our soul, ought to be you yourself. Not the things that you've given, but to know you ought to be our, our chief desire. We confess, O oh God, that oftentimes this is not the case. Oftentimes our, our, our longing is uh, upon the things of this, uh, these, the, this earth. We pray, O oh God, that as you teach and correct us and and show us how all these things are vain, that you would stir up that desire and that longing in our souls, and that we would pant and seek after Christ so that we might enjoy his fellowship. We pray, O oh God, that as we continue the rest of this day, this Lord's Day you've given for our rest and our worship, that the things that we've heard will be written upon our hearts, that we would indeed long after Christ, that our conversations would re reflect that that we would desire to speak of Christ and his goodness even in our own lives and to share of the wonderful things you have done for us in him. We pray, O oh God, that you would pardon us of our sins and that you, O oh God, would close, clothe us in Christ's righteousness and draw near unto our souls, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.